Thank you for tuning in to the sermon webcast of Living Savior. We are one church serving in two locations, Asheville and Hendersonville, North Carolina. For more information, go to lsavior.org. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Triangle, three interlocking rings. How about the fleur-de-lis? Over the centuries, each of those has been used as a symbol of the triune God. They have some things in common. Each of them is, is easy for an artist to reproduce. Each of them also shows unity and yet three. So the triangle, one single figure, three sides, three eternal, everlasting rings interlocked as one geometric figure. And the, the fleur-de-lis, or the fleur-de-lis, as, as you might prefer, the fleur-de-lis, that symbol of the Trinity goes way back. 12th century France, to French kings with names like Louis VI. These French rulers would put the fleur-de-lis on their armor because as they went into battle, they were invoking the name of the triune God and defending his honor. One single lily plant, one plant, always represented with three leaves. The fleur-de-lis has, has made its way into our country, but, but probably more is simply something that represents the French. So cities that have a strong French heritage, like New Orleans, you'll see the, the fleur-de-lis, the, the New Orleans Pelicans of the National Basketball Association have the fleur-de-lis in their, in their team logo. The New Orleans Saints of the National Football League put the fleur-de-lis on the sides of their helmet, which kind of means that even the most sanctified symbols can lose their meaning. Uh, they, become, they become something else. So that you and I may even see a, a triangle in, in some church setting or the three interlocking rings or the fleur-de-lis and not even think twice about it. And then God comes to us with his word. And his word very powerfully reminds us of who he is. Like at the creation. The triune God says, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. So the human being is not a, a descendant of the ape. The human being was created by the hand of the triune God to be holy in his image. Or like when Isaiah is, the prophet is ushered into the throne room of God and he hears the angels singing the song. I kind of messed it up here. I apologize for that. But those seraphim did not mess it up. Those angels singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Or like at the baptism of our Lord, the Son of God steps away from the water. The Spirit of God descends on him in the form of a dove and lands on him. And the voice of the Father comes from heaven, This is my Son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. 
the Holy Trinity speaks at the creation. The Holy Trinity declares the glory of his holiness. The Holy Trinity inaugurates the public ministry of your Savior and mine. Today the Holy Trinity speaks once again through the writings of the Apostle Paul. His letter to the, to the Romans is, is very much one of the Trinity of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And as, as he brings us the word, you, write, you and I recognize this is more than a geometric figure this God of ours. This is more than something abstract that will, that, or someone abstract that we'll never fully understand. This is the one who grants us the gifts of, pay, uh, of peace, who gives us standing in his grace, who gives us hope even in the middle of our sufferings. Triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, from the word assuring us you and I were very much a part of his saving work. The epistle to the Romans starts out happily enough. I think every believer will, will, will thoroughly enjoy reading the first 17 verses. But then after chapter 1, verse 17, the Lord's ambassador, Paul, gets kind of serious. And at least initially rather bleak. He puts you and I, puts you and me in God's courtroom. God is seated at the bench. He's the judge who is going to announce the decision. And lined up in front of him, standing in front of him, are all the human beings that have ever lived. And in, in, in the picture, as I imagine it, you and I are front and center. And as we stand there, heads bowed in shame, his apostle recites the crimes for which there is plenty of evidence. Serving other persons and other things, or this person known as self, ahead of serving God. Guilty as charged. Pursuing sexual desires, letting them dwell in the heart, that those that are impure, sexual deeds that are impure, guilty as charged. Envy of others for what they have, guilty as charged. The apostle keeps going down the list. Greed, arrogance, selfishness, guilty as charged. Fa failure to show love and to show mercy. You and I would have to keep saying guilty as charged. What the Apostle writes in those opening chapters of the letter to the Romans are a lot like what you and I said aloud at the start of the service. If we claim to be without sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. And when we're in God's courtroom, there's no way we can deceive God by covering up our crimes. The Romans got this. So at, at Rome and the Roman Empire, there was this legal system upon which ours is based to some extent. Judge and the accused, the accused considered innocent until proven guilty, charges formally brought. The Romans understood this. You and I can, understood what I, can understand what, what I just described. My conscience constantly testifies to it. Yours does as well. But we can ne what we can never fully understand 
is the very first word of today's reading. Justified. This long word which very simply means declared not guilty in God's courtroom by the God who is holy and just and all-knowing. Because someone else served the sentence in our place. Someone else accepted the guilty verdict in our stead. Someone else was willing to be executed in our place. Someone else now stands before the Father and pleads our, pleads our cause. The Father sent his Son, who in turn sent us the Holy Spirit with this gift of faith to believe this. You and I declared justified, not guilty in his courtroom. Not guilty. No matter how often you feel guilty about something that you've done, ultimately in God's courtroom and before him, you're not justified. The apostle goes on, since we have been justified through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, what do we now have? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace. Remember when the Berlin Wall fell? And all those communist governments collapsed? And after decades, we were going to be at peace with Russia? Our peace with God is not like that. Remember when one of our presidents announced a peace treaty with Iran, they were going to stop building nuclear weapons and we were going to do business with them and there would be this peaceful relationship with, 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 with Iran. The peace we have with God is not like that. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ who famously said, my peace I give you. I do not give to you, to you as the world gives. We have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ who, who won that God not guilty verdict by his own blood and death, who put his, the, the seal of the Holy Spirit, that approving seal of the Spirit on that peace, and who sends us the Holy Spirit to believe it. We, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ who sent the, sends the Holy Spirit to remind us of what he said that this peace we have with God is stable, it's secure, it's solid, it's an unshakable settlement with our God that's going to endure forever. And then the apostle goes on and adds even more, through our Lord Jesus Christ, we've been given access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Our wrongs don't rob us of not God's not guilty verdict. We, we stand in grace. Our, feels, our, our, feels don't, our, our fears don't take away the promises of God to overcome our fears. We stand in grace. Our reluctance, our reluctance to serve in, 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 in for the good of others does not destroy God's promise to serve for our everlasting good. We stand in grace. We stand in grace before our Heavenly Father who has given us his Holy Spirit to believe this through his Son, Jesus Christ.
the, the fleur-de-lis is um, in another French word. It's called a trefoil. A trefoil is a three-leaf plant, which is why the, the clover, not the four-leaf clover, the three-leaf clover, that also is a symbol of the triune God, which is also why the tre trefoil became a, a, a symbol seen in the architecture of historic churches. So you see the window of the church, maybe it's the, the front window or the back window, and it, it, it is round so that it can, it can show eternity. And then within the round window are these three leaves. Or you walk through the doorway or the arch, and there are these three half circles so that everyone who passes by and everybody who walks in has this reminder this church is not Unitarian this church proclaims the triune God Father Son and Holy Spirit which of course we often don't think about as we see such symbols and then the Lord comes to us with his word like today's can I read it to you again therefore since we have been declared not guilty through faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. What the apostle is doing is he's voicing every humble believer's boast about the future. Yeah, you know, it's not a boast in ourselves. It's a boast entirely in God and to the glory of God. This hope that we have about the future, that you and I will see the glory of God on the last day with our own eyes, in our own flesh, together with all his saints and all his angels. We will see God by his grace. And not only that, the apostle writes, not only that, but we, as we look to the future, we will rejoice in our sufferings. The last part of the passage is like the apostle, the trial has taken place and that guilty verdict has been announced. And now the apostle Paul, our attorney, has taken us aside and he's explaining what our, what our life experience is now going to be like in a very logical, lawyerly way. Can I walk you through it? It's, it's like one, two, three, four. It's very simple, very practical. One, he writes, Christians suffer. Christians suffer. It's not like all your troubles go, go away the moment you've been baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Christians suffer health problems. Christians suffer the, the limitations that come with growing older. Christians suffer financial difficulties, especially when we compare what we've been given to what others have been given. Christians suffer even more intensely from the temptations of the devil, who draws us to compromise what, we, what we've been brought to believe 
who would, who would prompt us to, to give in to a, a, an immoral habit. Christians suffer from the culture in which we live, which is never going to lend support to your confession of faith. The apostle begins with that, that's one. But two, suffering produces perseverance. Like the long-distance runner who keeps running the race through the pain and keeps practicing running through the pain of it all so that he can build endurance. Or like the weightlifter who keeps pumping the barbells even though his muscles are shooting with pain because the pain increases his strength. No pain, no gain, the weightlifter says, right? Suffering produces perseverance. So in the course of a lifetime, you've suffered all sorts of difficulties and trials and tests, and yet you can thank God for them because they built in you to, the, the ability to persevere in the faith. They drew you to God, and you recognize your strength is in Him, and, 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 and your peace is entirely in Him. Three, perseverance produces character. We're reading that in Bible class today, the, the, the picture that the Apostle Peter puts before us that, that, that you and I are like gold, right? Except we're, we're kind of like gold that's just been pulled out of the ground. It's got all sorts of impurities in it. So the Lord puts us into the smelter. He puts us under the heat, or, or I, I should say above the heat and within it. And fiery trials, what they do is they burn away the doubts they burn away the fears. They burn away that willingness to compromise so that you and I emerge from our difficulties, recognize it's only in God that I am who I am. And he purifies my faith and strengthens my faith. Suffering produces, produces perseverance. Perseverance produces tried and true Christian character. And four... Some of the most positive Christians that I've met are those that have been through great difficulties in their life. Maybe for you, too, it, the, 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 the glass-half-full fellow believers are those who have had a lot of troubles they've gone through because they learned something. That no matter how bad it got, no matter how hot the heat, no matter how heavy the troubles, no matter how heavy the burdens, Father, Son, and Spirit was with them to strengthen them and give them the ability to endure. Do you ever thank God for the troubles you've endured? They've given you a strength of faith to realize only in Him, only in Him, so that as you look ahead to the, to the, the new day and the new week and the new month, you can say with the glass half full people, with God, it's going to be a good day. It's going to be a good week. It's going to be a good year. And that hope, the apostle writes, does not put us to shame. It does not disappoint us. Not hope that's in God. You've been baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. 
so you know in your heart of hearts that the Father, Son, and Spirit in love chose you from eternity, adopted you into the family, strengthens you in the faith, has done this, baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, you know that God in love will he will be with you. He will strengthen you. He will forgive you when you fail. He will guide you by his word. He will give you all that you need to glorify the holy name of the one in whose, in whose grace you've been baptized. It's, it's not as though God gives these little droplets of love to us. The apostle's expression is God's love overflows into our hearts the love of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Do you learn all that from a triangle? <laughs> no, not really. Would you gain all that from just staring at three interlocking rings or the fleur-de-lis? No. What the symbols do is they remind you of the word. And if you can't remember the word, they say, go back to the word. Go back to the word to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit who gives you his peace, who gives you this standing in his grace, who assures you that you have hope in the midst of your sufferings. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, not just a symbol, and certainly no ordinary truth. This is the God who has included us, me, you, in an everlasting, joyful salvation. Amen.